Thank you for downloading from Ravi Zacharias International Ministries. Support for this podcast comes from your generous gifts and donations. You can find out more about Ravi Zacharias and the team at www.rzim.org. is the creator and the marriage act reflects something of that creator again god wants you to reflect that splendor in the marriage act of unities of diversities the topic of homosexuality can be a point of contention for many people including christians some are saying the portions of the bible that speak clearly against homosexuality are wrong but is that true what does the bible say about this issue today on just thinking RZIM speaker Abdu Murray takes a deeper look at what the Bible says about this topic as we return to an open forum for Michigan State. Let's listen as we hear that question now. Hello. Uh, thank you so much both for coming here. I, I really appreciate getting this chance to speak with you. My question is about homosexuality. I'll, I want some clarity on this. I grew up in the church. I believe I even recall when I was really little, my mom would turn on and we'd listen to you on the radio. Mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty neat. Um, but I have a general base at least as to what the Bible says about homosexuality. And I, uh, and in the past several years, I've heard arguments saying that in the Old Testament and say Leviticus, that's no longer valid. And in the New Testament, that the descriptions of what are considered homosexuality and what are considered sin are too vague for us to understand from the uh, interpretation or this, that, or the other thing. And I truly want clarity because this has been something that I've been split with. I grew up saying that homosexuality has always been sin. And as I continue, I keep seeing that no, it's not. And it's tearing me apart, please. Thanks very much for the, uh, I think, very, very thoughtful question. I think there's the silence in the room. This is, everyone wants to know, what are we going to say next? <laughs> I'd like to know the same thing, by the way. Um, you know, that question was asked of me. I was uh, at another open forum at another university, and someone had walked up to the microphone, and she was actually trembling when she asked the question. She said, I want to know what does the Bible have to say about sexuality, specifically homosexuality and other things that people struggle with. You know, when you look at someone like that, and someone like you who's asking a sincere question, seeking for clarity, uh, it's a refreshing way to look at it, because nowadays, as already been said, is that differing views is subscribe to the Hitlerization of other people. I want to assume the best in someone who disagrees with me. I want to assume they agree with me out of born out of an idea of love. I want to assume that when I say something, they ho- I hope that they assume of me that I'm saying it out of an uh, idea of love. So we can disagree sharply on these things, but oftentimes we do it so disagreeably that we bring only heat and no light. So what I want to say to you, I want to say very, very carefully, because this is a question I'm sure not only you are asking. You know, there's only so many worldviews to choose from when it comes to this question. You can take a nihilistic approach, in which case the question you just asked is basically meaningless. 
you can take uh, an atheistic approach or a secular approach that just views things uh, as Richard Dawkins says, we are machines for propagating DNA. It is every living object's sole reason for living. That's what he says. I'm not making that up. That's what he said. And then he also says, you can't help but feel sorry for someone who is sterile, who can't actually contribute to the gene pool. That is a something you have to feel sorry for. So clearly, the idea of the propagation of the species is important in terms of our actions and all these things. So I said to her, if you're going to actually look for a worldview, only so many to choose from, to validate what you want to be true. And the question is, is it something that you want to be true or something that you're willing to ascribe to, even if it's not conforming to your preferences? So propagation of DNA is everything there is to have. And if that's the case, then the behavior of homosexuality is unevolutionary. And you can kind of come up with other ideas about how it might benefit the species, but again, we're kind of ad hoc on that. We're just guessing. But it seems unevolutionary, so that won't necessarily help you. Then you look to the pantheistic cultures where there's a strain of sexual sort of uh, ethos in some of those religious uh, expressions. But ultimately, if you look at the news systems, by the way, uh, when one of the royal family of India came out as homosexual, his mother actually put out an ad that said, I will sue you, I will bring legal action against you if you say this is my son. And they were burning images of him in effigy. So there you might not find the validation either. I'm not saying everyone from that system is like that. I'm just saying you can't retreat to someone and say, oh, that's automatically in favor of what I said. In some Islamic countries, you couldn't even ask the question as you just did it in public. That's just the way it is. Not in every place, but that's how it works. So you don't find a lot of answers there in those ways. But can I answer this? And I asked her this question. Can I give you a statement about why the Bible says what it says? And this goes back to what I was talking about, about the Imago Dei. See, I think oftentimes Christians are so enamored with the institution of marriage or the idea of sexuality as an institution that we forget there's people involved. And we think that the Bible has these strictures and these boundaries that exist solely for the idea that, well, we don't like that behavior, it's icky, so stone people for doing it, as if it's arbitrary and these kind of things, rather than seeing the possibility that maybe the Bible isn't pro-institution, it's actually pro-people. It's actually saying things that it espouses that are actually in favor of someone in being made in God's image. So the Bible first starts with that. It says you're not a DNA propagator. You know, you didn't wake up this morning and none of you, I think, woke up this morning, looked in the mirror and said, I am a very well-dressed DNA propagator. I think you think of yourself as more than that, something more to you than that. That's why those who are struggling with these, uh, wrestling with these issues always say, just people, let people love who they want because love is something that's not just a physical thing. It's actually got a spiritual component to it. So I think we're all agreeing at least to some degree on that. But you are made in God's image. And this is what I told her. The Bible tells me and tells you that you are made in God's image. So regardless of your preferences, regardless of your attractions, regardless of your beliefs, the image of God on you simply says that you are a human being who has the ability to relate both on the vertical and in the horizontal level. So regardless of what you believe, you are made there. I, as a Christian, believe that I and you are both sinners. So I can never look at you and say, you're less than me. A Christian has no right to do that to anybody. And I would never say that to her. I may not agree with behavior because of certain prescriptions I find that are in, I think, the vouchsafed word of God. But I can never say that the person is worse than me or better than me or whatever it might be. We're, we have an Arabic phrase, it literally means we're all in the same air or we're all in the same wind. The connotation is we all smell the same stink. 
We have more colorful phrases than Americans do. We're all in the same boat. We're all in the same stink. It's a little more colorful. Um, so we're all in this together. There's an equality that happens there just by fact of our, of our essence as human beings. But so that's something that God wants to vouchsafe. What is the sexual act? The sexual act has many components to it, but one of those components is that it's the bringing together of two people for the purpose of creating another being beautifully made in God's image as, I, as she is, I told her. So the act is sacred because the result is sacred. Because that girl who asked me that question and everyone in this room, you're not incidentally sacred, you are intrinsically sacred. And so is she. And sex is the act by which that happens. So that needs, the sacred needs protecting it needs to be nurtured and made sure that it doesn't become common. Because if sex is whatever you feel like that day, whatever you feel strongly even in your own heart, and it just becomes whatever you want, it stops being sacred and starts being common. And God doesn't want that for any one of us, for sex to be common. We were at an open forum actually where our colleague Sam Albury has written an excellent book that I would suggest everybody in this room get, Is God Anti-Gay? Someone who actually has same-sex attractions, by the way, and is a believer. Is God anti-gay? I highly recommend you get this book. And someone asked him, what is sex? What is intimacy? And he said, you can have a whole lot of sex with no intimacy and a whole lot of intimacy with no sex. And then his counterpart was asked the same question during the dialogue. And she said, it depends on whom I'm having sex with that day. See, the sacred sense of it and the common sense of it. It's just common. And I don't think this girl was asking because she thought it was common. She viewed it as sacred in and of itself. So the first part is this, that the sexual act brings is sacred because the result is sacred, because a person is created, a human being made in God's image. But what is sex as well within the bonds of marriage is that it, what it is, is the unities of diversities, a man and a woman. Everyone in this room knows how biologically different men and women are. Just get married and you'll find out how psychologically different they actually are. But it's a unity of diversities. Why is that important? Because God himself is a unity of diversities. As I already explained, one God in three persons, he is the creator and the marriage act reflects something of that creator. Again, God wants you to reflect that splendor in the marriage act of unities of diversities. Jesus was asked a question about marriage and he says, did you not read in the beginning that in his image he created them? Male and female, he created them in his image. He created them. He was talking to Jews when he said this. They know the story. They knew who the them is. But Jesus went out of his way to point out male and female. He created them. A male is sacred in his maleness. A female is sacred in her femaleness. And there ought not to be interchanged as one for the other. Because I am benefited in some way. Because someone who's not like me, but equally sacred and made in God's image, contributes something and someone who is not like her also. We don't exchange each other out for someone just like us because unity and diversity. And finally, from the Bible's perspective, and there's many other things that can be said about this, many, many other things that can be said about this. What you have at the end of the world is not judgment only. There is a judgment that's coming, but the Bible doesn't describe the end as a judgment. The Bible describes the end as a marriage. That those who are redeemed who are once steeped in these things, get redeemed and they marry this, this, this finite, once dirty, very self-seeking body of people who now get redeemed to become those who seek after God and who clean up their life and who God has cleaned up their life for them. This finite, limited, sinful, but redeemed bride marries 
God who is eternal, pure of heart and self-giving. There's a unity of diversities right there. Marriage is a reflection of unities of diversities. And I would never want, the reason why the Bible says this is why the sex act is what it is, is because the Bible wants that reflection in each one of us. That is a beautiful thing that God wants to protect in every person. And I said to her, he wants that for you. You can choose to reject it if you want, but he wants that for you. That beauty, that sacredness. It's difficult to deal with on a personal level because we want preferences or we have strong inclinations. And I would never tell somebody, I understand what you're going through when it comes to that. I have my own issues to deal with. I don't need to get in somebody else's head. I have my own preferences and my own things that I have to deal with uh, and uh, that go against, I think, the, the, the absolute truth, the objective truth. But this is somebody who has something that I can't understand and I would never deign to say I understand, but I know what the Bible says and it's not pro-institution, it's for her. It's in favor of her. And there she was, and she was crying her eyes out at the end. And we prayed together. It was not the end of the conversation, not by a long shot. But at least she saw that I didn't believe something because I thought she was icky. I believed something because God sees her as beautiful. We have to end this Q&A there. But you can hear Robbie answer this question by tuning in tomorrow. Or you can listen to this program again at rzim.org or rzim.ca for those in Canada. And you can purchase a copy of this Q&A series titled Michigan State Q&A, or the book Abdu Mentions by RZIM speaker Sam Alberry titled Is God Anti-Gay? by visiting our website or by calling us at 1-800-448-6766. You've been listening to Just Thinking, a listener-supported radio ministry that is furnished by Robbie Zacharias International Ministries in Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you.